Well, good morning, Gateway. We just want to welcome you guys this morning. If you are new here, uh, we are extremely excited that you're here. I am the student minister at our St. Albans location. This is only like the second time that I've been here. Um, so far, so good, right? Thank you. Thank you for the worship. Yes. Give it up for the worship. Can we do that? Yeah, please. Everybody. I'm very blunt to say, hey, let's just clap for the worship. Uh, because it takes a lot to serve. It takes a lot to give. And we have a lot of people who serve here at Gateway. But can I just pray some scripture over you guys this morning? If you will, just close your eyes, and I'm just going to read a little bit. In Romans chapter 8, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. But not only that, but we, are se- who, we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also grow within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in Thanksgiving. This is like, this wasn't one of my favorite holidays, I've got to be honest. Um, I'm not a big buffet guy. Uh, I don't eat enough to enjoy a good buffet, if you know what I'm saying. Unless you go to a Brazilian steakhouse, then I will eat my body weight. Um, but when it comes to like Golden Crow, Ryan's, like that's just not been my thing. So Thanksgiving wasn't really my holiday because I just didn't eat enough. As I've gotten older, that's quickly changed. And also my wife's birthday is on the 23rd, so I can't escape the Thanksgiving season. <laughs> uh, and trust me, that, that is a good thing. So are, 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 do we have any people excited for Thanksgiving or has it just become me? Three of you, fantastic. Or you're just scared to raise your hand. Uh, whichever one I like it. But we are entering our fourth week of this thinking series. And have you guys enjoyed this thinking series? It pushes you. Um, It pushes your brain. It pushes my brain. And I know that it can be challenging. But let's just do a quick recap. In week one, we asked, does my life have any meaning? And in short, and if you missed that series, then you can go to our website and watch that over again. But does your life have meaning? Absolutely. You are made in the image of God no matter where you are in your walk with him. No matter how far you are away or how close you feel like you are, we are all created with the same image inside of us. And that gives us hope anytime. Week two, we said, does God exist? We gave four quick lines of evidence of what could be 20 plus on how we know that the existence of God is real. And number three, just last week, do all religions lead to God? No. They can't. Because if we read scripture, it says the only way to get to the Father is through the Son. And if we go through all the different religions, if Christianity is true, well, then most other religions can't be, and vice versa. Now, obviously, being Christians, we think that it's true, but Christianity is the only one whose God didn't stay in the grave. But today, is one that I am excited for because it's ridiculously difficult. Why is there evil in the world? 
Now, let's, let's set the stage really quick with the, why is there evil. Imagine you're on point A and you're trying to get to point B. It's basically like West Virginia in trying to answer this question, meaning there are thousands of little back roads that you can go down, and 90% of them in our area lead to Route 60. And so while we're trying to answer this question of the problem of evil, we have to focus on certain roads. Because, I'm trying to word this properly, with the problem of evil, there is no universal answer that's going to make everybody happy 100% of the time. And that's okay. What I mean by that is there are going to be seasons to where you're like, okay, God's good. I don't feel that he's good, but I know that he's good. Okay, that answers your problem of evil that day. But then there are going to be days where it's not as easy to believe that. And now you've got to find a different road, but you know that the positions of A and B do not change. So today we're going to be focusing on one road, but understand that's not the only one. But all of them point to Jesus. Every one of them. And no matter how we feel, like I talked about a couple weeks ago, doesn't change the goodness of God. So if something doesn't sit right with you and you're like, I need something more, let's talk. There are more ways that we can answer this question and none of them go against God's character whenever we look at it through the lens of scripture. Am I right? But have you ever wondered that question? Have you ever wondered why is there cancer? Why is there starvation in the world? Why is there war and violence? Why was there a black plague then and now we have been dealing with COVID for three plus years? Why do some people seem so heartless? Why does evil exist at all? And in short, if God is good, then why does evil exist? And I think every one of us in here, if I took a poll, would say they have wondered that question at some point in their walk. It might be the first time that you were a kid and, and you saw somebody homeless and whenever you're walking down the street and you're like, mommy, where's their home? And they said they don't have one. Maybe as an adult, you're wondering, why is there even a war going on right now? I thought we were past all that. Why is there racism anywhere? If God's good, why isn't he doing anything about it? Matter of fact, this is one of the leading reasons to why people will not come to faith in Jesus is because they can't reconcile this in their mind of how a good God and evil can exist together. And I'm here to tell you that if you have those questions, good. Good. Don't run from the questions. Don't be scared to ask those questions because it gives you an opportunity to ask them so that God can show himself in a different way. One of the more recent times that I feel like I, I, I've re, that I've asked that question was, if you don't know much about Gateway, we have a very large Haiti mission. And we do a lot in Haiti. We have built a church. We have built a school. Uh, we help pay for teachers. We help sponsor students. And if you want any more information about that, find any leader, and we would love to set you up to help out with our Haiti mission. But one of the cool things about it is that before COVID and before all the unrest in Haiti, we were actually taking several trips a year to Haiti. A lot of people in this church right now sitting in these seats have been to Haiti. The kids that you can sponsor, you can meet. And that was the case for my wife and I before we had our little three-year-old. We went to Haiti and I have, I've got to be honest, it was difficult for me. Uh, don't really know why. It just, it, it was, it was hit me. I was like, I just don't know what's pushing me. What's, what's making me want to do this? Why am I so hesitant to want to do this? So I remember when we were getting ready for this trip, 
I was uh, talking to a guy over at St. Albans campus, and he said, the moment you touch down, you're going to get a headache. I said, what do you mean? He said, because they burn plastic everywhere. I said, okay, whatever. To this day, the worst headache I've ever had in my life happened in the first three minutes that I touched down in Haiti. And it lasted for, t- for 10 hours. Not exaggerating. And you get off the plane and you get, you're walking through the airport and all these Haitians are trying to basically push your luggage so that you'll have to pay them for their efforts. And you're having to learn a very little amount of Creole to tell them no, uh, no thank you. And then you get onto this bus and you're going through standalone traffic. People who are with your group are pushing people off your school bus because they're trying to hitch a free ride. And then people are constantly in the streets using the bathroom. I saw more naked people in four minutes that I think I have my whole life. And I'm not exaggerating. But, when, but, but the farther you get out there, it obviously it opens up, it gets more beautiful, but the poverty level is real. You see thousands upon thousands of people living in tents or living in houses that don't have roofs, don't have doors, or maybe still made of thatch and still made of mud and wood. And these people, that's their way of life. And it takes no time at all to get there and to see just how much these people do not have. Things that we take for granted every single day. But a couple of days down the road, uh, so my wife's a nurse, and while we were off doing another project in Haiti, my wife was going out and was doing just a little bit of medical work with some people around the area. Well, that night, I hadn't gotten to see her all day, and she was obviously very upset. And I said, Julie, what's wrong? And she started tearing up and she was telling me the story about how there was a kid who had been having this this massive indigestion problem. His stomach was ridiculously swollen and I don't know all the medical terms, so don't ask me. But he was very thin, but his stomach was very swollen. He couldn't stop throwing up. He he couldn't stop going to the bathroom. And he was, they managed to get was like the Haitian version of like Pedialyte and give it to him. And Julie said, all of this is preventable. This isn't like some kind of like medical mystery. We know what's wrong. We know what to do, but they have no way to do it in a time that's sufficient. And even if they could do it, most of the families don't have enough money to pay for it. And if you talk to anybody who's been to Haiti, that story can be told 10,000 times over and worse. So it's no wonder that we sit back and we sing songs like the goodness of God and we sing a hallelujah to God and then we're like, how can that God exist in an evil built in that much evil? I mean, sorry, that God's so good live in a world of that much evil. And that's a good question to have because they seem a little contradictory, am I right? How can we worship God being so good and yet notice all the bad things that are going on? Well, I can say with confidence that Jesus felt this type of pain too. As far as that thing inside of your stomach that says something seems off here. Something isn't sitting right. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, it says this. And Jesus went throughout all of the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, notice this, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. Now, the UN has recently announced that there are over 8 billion people in the world. 
And I feel like sometimes Dwight in the office where he says, we need a new plague. Like, it just seems crowded all the time. But when we think about, like, man, there's 8 billion people. Well, our job as followers is to reach as many of that 8 billion as we can to tell them about who Jesus is. He says it here is that there is a ton of work to do and not enough workers to do it. The harvest is plentiful. We're ready for it. But if there is something that we can agree on is that the more that the population goes, the more evil comes with it. It seems like the more people that are entering into the world, now that same amount of evil is doubling. It seems like all the things that our grandparents struggle with is getting worse. It seems like the stuff that our parents struggle with is getting worse. The things that we struggled with whenever we were in high school is getting worse. Being in student ministry, you are always seeing new things. And I'm learning new words like woke and cap. Still don't know what they mean. But the things that they're going through in their schools are worse than what we went through, which seems really hard to fathom in our minds. The more the population grows, the more that evil grows. And so then we ask the question again, if God is so good and so powerful, well, why is there so much evil, pain, and suffering? And then these people who are asking this question, maybe it's you, they try to reason that since evil, pain, and suffering exists, well, if God is so good, then he must not be all-powerful, or if he is all-powerful, then he must not be good. In short, if God is so good and this evil exists, then he must not be as good as you think he is, or he must not be powerful enough to do anything about it. There's a guy by the name of Bart Ehrman um, who is a New Testament, oddly enough, a New Testament scholar at UNC Chapel Hill. 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 (laughs) There's very few moments that West Virginia dialect comes out, but here we are. But Bart Ehrman is a New Testament scholar at UNC Chapel Hill, and he's an agnostic meaning he doesn't know it, about what God is. He, he's not sure like, if there is a God. I don't know what it is. And yet he's teaching New Testament studies, uh, oddly enough. But here's how it kind of happens. He was actually a Christian who went through seminary and is very, very, very smart. And a lot of the atheists and agnostics will quote Bart Ehrman. But let's listen to this quote by, by Ehrman himself. The problem of suffering became the problem, for me, the problem of faith. After many years of grappling with the problems, trying to explain it, thinking through the explanations that others have offered, I finally admitted defeat. And I came to realize that I could no longer believe in the God of my tradition. And I acknowledged that I was an agnostic. I don't know if there's a God, but I think that if there is one, he certainly isn't the one proclaimed by the Judeo-Christian tradition, the one who is actively and powerfully involved in the world. And so I stopped going to church. You have a man who had dedicated his life to seminary, and then he started looking at the problem of suffering and realized, if this God exists, he's not the one that I thought it was. So he left. And now he spends his life basically trying to show how the Bible is inaccurate. He spends his world trying to teach seminary or other students who are new in college about how the Bible is a historical book, but it's not an unfathomable book. It's not God-breathed. C.S. Lewis He wrote in his book on the problem of pain. My argument before was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has an idea of a straight line. 
What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? And what Lewis is saying there is the only way that I knew what was bad was because I had an idea of what was good. It's like the idea of how uh, you you can't have a a rainy day unless you have a, a lot more sunny ones. It's the same concept. Is that for Lewis, he was like, at first I was saying, I can't follow this because of all the injustice. And he's like, but on the flip side, the only way I know something's unjust is because there's something inside of me that says that that's right or that's wrong. Meaning I've had the justice. I've seen the positive here. But let's get back to that scripture in Matthew chapter 9. He uses three words there that I think are very telling of what Jesus was feeling in that moment. Number one, compassion. Compassion. The idea of compassion. Now, the word there, and hold with me, is splachnitsomai. Splachnitsomai. And it's the idea, and it says here, the intense pity from the bowels. You know that gut punch that you feel when you see things that seem wrong? You know that moment whenever you see the homeless person digging in the trash can and you're like, something just doesn't feel right. Maybe it's that moment whenever uh, you see somebody who's getting beat up, a kid maybe, at school, and it hits you right here. Maybe you hear about a loved one getting cancer or being very, very sick, and you just can't catch your breath. Maybe it's whenever you're at the hospital and the doctor comes in and says, we did all that we could do. That's the word that Jesus uses here to explain what he felt whenever he looked at his people who were suffering, is that he felt it. He felt something that just was off in his mind. He was like, I I don't understand what it is. Now, another picture, if you know the story of the prodigal son, that same word compassion is what the father felt with the son. He felt it. So for a God who is so quote-unquote distant, why does he feel so much here? Because maybe he isn't as distant as we sometimes think he is. The second word here is harassed. Now, there are evil that exists that are what we like to call man-made suffering. Whenever we talk about World War II, this is a good example of it. You have somebody whose morals got pushed to the side, got out of whack, and now people have still been suffering because of that moment. Man-made suffering are the things that we experience every single day. It's whenever somebody drives their car through a Dairy Queen, for whatever that reason. It's whenever somebody just walks up and stabs four students at a college in Idaho, which just happened this past week. Man-made suffering. Things that we can't escape, but they exist. You don't believe me? Go to your Facebook news feed. And there are very few positive things. They're based around murder and some kind of other horrific sin that just makes you feel that compassion in your stomach that you can't escape. And the third one is helpless. But there are things in the world that we have zero control over, meaning that a person doesn't make those decisions. They're natural disasters. You have things like hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, uh, sickness. Um, I, had some fr- I have some friends in Australia, and there was a guy who he started having some headaches, but there wasn't anything like, to be concerned about. Well, then he started to get blurred vision, and he goes to the hospital, and they say, you have three hours to live. Three hours. Three hours. Do you think he and his family wondered, where's God in this? What would you do if you had three hours? Because sometimes those natural things, the natural causes, 
They have nothing to do with us. They're just the result of the world. And the focus verse we talked about in John chapter 9 about how there was a blind man who they didn't understand what was wrong, so the disciples asked, well, somebody had to have messed up here. The, the family must have made a mistake, or, or he had made a mistake. And Jesus said, no, like, you're missing it. Nobody made a mistake. He was born this way. This was how it is. He didn't try to reconcile with them and try to say, well, God wanted this, God wanted that. Like, no, like, this was how he was made in the image of God. That doesn't mean he was broken or busted up. And Jesus wanted to make that known. And yet Jesus performed a miracle that they weren't expecting. And in verse 32, we read, never since the world began has it been hard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this, were for not, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing, meaning this would, only, this would be him forever. And then Jesus heals him on the spot. In Genesis chapter three, three, we read about what we call the fall of man. Meaning when sin enters, Adam and Eve are deceived by the snake who is Satan. And at that point in time, evil exists. From that moment in time, whenever man thought that we could know what knowledge was and still exist in a good world, at that point, evil came in because we weren't supposed to know everything. Because if we knew everything, then we would have no need for God. But thank God, we don't know everything. We're not supposed to know everything. So whenever the serpent lies to them and they try to take this knowledge, at that point, not only are we separated from God, but so was creation, which is where you get a lot of the natural things that just exist. But now you still may be asking, why would God create a world where evil could exist to begin with? And this is going to sound off. Love. Why would God create a world where evil exists and it's simply love. Remember, you don't always know where I'm going with, uh, with these roads back to Route 60, but here we are. There are things about God that cannot change. What I mean by that is God's goodness doesn't change. But can God say anything that is senseless? No. Can God make a two-sided triangle? No. So whenever God is making, these, making the world, whenever he is making things happen, I want you to understand something, is that there are certain things that would contradict his character, and that's where we kind of step in and say there's a thing called free will. When we talk about love, what makes God love is that he gives us to choose love. Choose relationship. And if God were to intervene on absolutely everything, then we wouldn't have free will. And then our relationship with God would not be the same. Why? Because it would be a forced relationship. It would be like me grabbing my three-year-old by the hood of her jacket and saying, love me. And then she say, no. And then I'm like, I don't think you understand. You're going to love me. And then I look at my dog and I do the exact same thing. If God were to do something like that, then we wouldn't have free will. But here's the problem with free will. As much as we can choose good, we can also do what? Choose the bad. We can choose the opposite. We know that we shouldn't yell at our kids for not understanding something. And yet we still yell at them. 
We know that we shouldn't lose our temper when we're driving our car, but man, it's easy to do. We know that, that we, we, we shouldn't get in trouble in middle school and high school, and yet we get some kind of like weird energy and, 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 and excitement on making the teacher really mad. That was me. And yet, as much as we wish that we could choose good, there are so many times where we do the opposite. Why? Because we're broken, sinful people. Paul says it. He says, I want to do the things that I'm supposed to do, but yet I find myself doing the opposite so much. I know what I need to do, and I can't do it. I know what I shouldn't do, and I keep doing that. And we're the same way. So why does evil exist? Because people have choices. And if God intervened, then it wouldn't be love. Evil exists not because God, his character is opposite, but because he wants you to choose him. Sin exists for that very reason. And because of that reason, we have to deal with the fall. We have to deal with decisions made by our government. We have to deal with decisions made by our parents. We have to deal with decisions made by us. We have to deal with decisions when our kids say something silly out in Kroger or, or, or Target, and then we have to say, no, no, they don't understand what that means. You know what I mean by that? So the more that we see that people have choices, the more we understand, well, could God create a world where we have free will, and evil doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm sure that he could, but it would go against his character. In Isaiah, it says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and this is Isaiah to God. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are your thoughts. We know that heaven is going to be this place that, that free will exists and that there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, and there is no more evil. And that's what makes heaven even sweeter. But what this doesn't answer to us is, is what do we do about the evil, pain, and suffering while we're here, while we're on the earth? Or what do we do about the problem of evil? If we're going to be here on this earth and God wants us to do all these different things, well, then how do we react whenever somebody comes up to us and says, my mom has cancer? She's all I have. How do we talk to somebody who just lost their spouse? How do we talk to somebody who just lost their kid? How do we talk to somebody who can't follow God because they look around the world and say, that shouldn't be? How do we talk about it? What do we say? So over the next few minutes, I just want to go over a couple of things about what you can do. What are the positives? What is the application point for you? Is number one, in your pain, God is shaping you. Think back to the times whenever you were at your down, like the most down, like when you were exhausted, you were broken, you were at the bottom of the barrel. Can you look back and see how God was working even when you didn't see it in the meantime? Do you remember the time that, that, that you couldn't fathom waking up the next morning because you just couldn't deal with it anymore? And yet you got up and that one person maybe said a prayer for you and told you about it and you just felt a new sense of energy. Maybe you read a psalm that, that just hit perfectly in the right moment and you're like, okay, I can do this. Have you ever had those moments? In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. 
And then verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He wants everybody to be reconciled back to himself. So when you see that word predestined, foreknow, it's for you. It's for your choice. Is do you want to accept this gift of grace? And if we go back to verse 28, it says that he is working together everything for his good, not yours. Not for your family, but for you. My friend in Australia with the, 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 brain, in, the, the, the brain stem uh, tumor, three hours turned into a couple of days. A couple of days turned into a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks turned into a couple of months. A year to the date, the tumor was completely gone, and they have no idea what happened. But there are so many stories where it doesn't turn out that way. And I want you to understand that the goodness of God who healed that tumor is the same goodness of God where it didn't get healed. God is shaping you for his purpose. And the more that we see that, the more we have the hope because of who Jesus is. Number two, in your pain, God is with you. In Philippians chapter two, verses seven through eight, it reads this. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. We have a God who not only wanted to prepare a way for you to get to him, but he made himself to be that very thing. He created himself to die for us so that we could have life. So in our pain, God is with us. How do we know? Because he gave himself the worst amount of pain. Jesus, even though he was fully God, sat in the garden and cried and said, God, if there is any other way, please let it be. Knowing full and well, there was no other way. There's an old hymn, Oh, What a Savior, that says, Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a Savior. So the next time that you wonder, where is God in this evil? Where is God in this pain? Understand that he is doing a work in you and the people around you. What he wants is for you to be obedient. Because his glory is going to shine through our pain. And the way that we interact with that can make a huge difference. Lastly, in your pain, God is for you. Now, there is, in, in Romans chapter 8, I love it. It's, it's my favorite chapter in all of scripture. Because you see the separation of not only man, but a set of creation. In Romans chapter 8, and I don't have a slide for this, in verse 19, it reads this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And this is what we read earlier. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The whole purpose of writing this is that there is going to be a reconciliation, meaning a putting back together of God and creation. And if we believe that God's going to bring creation back to himself and for a new creation, what do you think he's going to do for you who is made in his image? Imagine that moment 
when you get up to heaven and, and, and you're like, I wanted this and I wanted this. I want to have this in my house. I want to have this in my room. And he's like, I'm here. Matter of fact, at the end of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, it says, and they're going to the dimensions of heaven. It just simply says, and it's going to be called, the Lord is there. You're not going to have all these questions. You're not going to have all these fears. Why? Because you're going to be standing in the presence of God and that will be enough. That will be enough. But it goes on in verse 37b uh, of chapter 8 of Romans uh, to verse 39. And this is like my anthem. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor any height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love. The question is, is do you believe that? Even when you see the evil, even when you see the pain, even when you see the suffering, do you know that that does not go against God's character? So then why does it exist? Because we are the hands and feet who need to do something about it. And that means having the right attitude when we go through it too, is understanding, I don't understand, but God, my thoughts are not yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. God, this is one of those times to where you're speaking. And we just need to sit back and shut our mouths. God, because if, if, if we sit back and we think about it long enough and we dwell long enough, God, we, we will wonder more and more about why does evil, pain, and suffering exist? And God, there's not a perfect answer. But the thing that we need to sit back on and remind ourselves is that it doesn't, our feelings are secondary to what your truth is. What you say about the world is that it is broken, is that it is subjected to futility, that there, is a, that there was a separation between you and us and you loved us so much. And you say in 1 John that God is love that you created a way for us. We didn't create anything ourselves. It is of no work to us except we accept the gift of grace. God, faith is not a work. And us having faith, we can't take credit. We can't take credit for what you do. And us putting our faith in you is you doing 100% of it. And it all started because you loved us enough to create a way for us to have life with you. So when we struggle with why is there evil, why is there pain, why is there suffering? Well, God, you give us the choice, knowing full and well that we are people who are going to make mistakes. The issue is, is do we live in those mistakes or do we fix them the best we can? Do we repent and change our ways and say, God, I never again God, thank you for being love. Thank you for giving us the choice. And my prayer today is that there's anybody in here who is teetering on that line of wondering, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I react? God, I pray that you touch their spock beats of mine and make them feel compassion towards their relationship with you. Father, thank you. Then I pray. Amen.
The band's going to play one more song. And if you have anything that you want to talk about, pray about, I'll be over here on your left. This is a big topic. So don't let this be the only time that you wrestle with it. Let's stand and worship.